Welcome to Only Planners in the Building, a podcast by the Illinois Chapter of the American Planning Association. This podcast is a chance for us, the planners, designers, communicators, and collaborators in this wonderful state of Illinois to connect with one another. Let's talk about the wins, the not quite wins, and the lessons we learn along the way that bring us all closer together and help us be better at the jobs we do. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Only Planners in the Building podcast. I'm your host, Andy Cross. In the previous episodes, we've talked about the state conference back in September up here in Chicago, the 2022 Daniel Burnham Award winner for a comprehensive plan for the city of West Chicago, and we've met several great planners along the way. For this episode, I'd like to take things in a different direction, and that direction is south. No, not Cairo South, and not even Springfield South. Don't worry, we'll get down there eventually. But today, we're going to Washington, Illinois. It's a stone's throw from Peoria Lake next to Peoria, Illinois, about a three-hour drive south of Chicago. So, roll up the plans you're reviewing, step away from that staff report, and put down that article on missing middle housing. It's time to meet a fellow Illinois planner. Let's go. Today, we are chatting with John Oliphant, the Planning and Development Director with the City of Washington. John, thanks so much for joining this. I'm sure you're as busy as we all are on a day-to-day, so I really appreciate you taking uh, time out. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's a great honor to be on your podcast with you. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I appreciate that, man. So, uh, Mr. Oliphant, and I assume your last name means elephant? Whenever I tell people how to spell it, I say it is like an elephant, but with an O. That's awesome. Yeah, it's the uh, the first thing people must see, and I'm sure you get a lot of it. Uh, do uh, people ever razz your kids in school, or did you catch any flack in school with a last name like that? I certainly did. I don't really hear from my kids, but figuring that kids will always be kids, I can't imagine that they haven't come across somebody that hasn't at least lightly poked at the last name that they have. That's awesome, John. That's awesome. So um, we've, uh, you know, we've gotten to know each other over the years, but for those who haven't had the pleasure, um, won't you please uh, just kind of walk us through your path into planning and, uh, and, uh, you know, you're now the director, uh, kind of um, walk us through your path into planning, your undergrad degree, internship, and how you got where you are. Sure. Well, my path may be like a lot of people in the fact that I really didn't know what planning was until I got into my first few years of undergrad. And so going back even long before that, growing up, uh, I was the, the son of a father who uh, majored in geography uh, back in the day and then ended up working for 30 plus years in the field of transportation management. And from a very early age, uh, I, I was always told by my mom and dad that I would sit around and and look at maps with my dad and just kind of point at things in a Rand McNally atlas. And that kind of love of just exploring things spatially was able to be kind of broadened by some of the travels that we were fortunate to, to do. We, we did a, 
a summer family vacation every year growing up. And so uh, we were able to see different places in the country. And, and while I, I certainly didn't know it at the time, I, I had no idea what planning was, I think I slowly but surely started developing an appreciation for how cities function and, and how some cities and, and neighborhoods are a little bit better than others and maybe some of the commonalities with those. And so I, I knew from a fairly early age that I wanted to do something in the field of geography, but I thought at the time and then going through high school that I would be interested in doing something in cartography. And sure. uh, lo and behold, I, I get to my first undergraduate course at Augustana College in cartography. And the first exercise we have to do is to draw the state of Wisconsin at three different scales. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I didn't know that drawing was going to be a part of this because I have no art skills whatsoever. And so I'm struggling through it. I kind of muddy my way through it. And at the end, I'm like, gosh, if this is really what cartography is about, I don't know if I really want to do it. Maybe I ought to start planning on uh, plan B at this point. And so I finished that course, did some others, and then found a planning course to the 300 level, that the only planning course that was offered at Augie uh, that was taught by the, the head of the department, Dr. Norm Moline, and I uh, took that. The, certainly the, the synopsis sounded interesting, and as we went throughout the course, there uh, were guest speakers for the majority of the lectures, and it was really eye-opening to kind of see and hear about all the different realms of planning, all the different sectors, public-private, quasi-public, hearing from citizen planners, uh, neighborhood groups, uh, state, local, regional, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it really kind of taught me that, gosh, these cities don't just naturally become the way they do. There is a lot of thought that goes into them. And I, I'd really like to learn a lot more. So from there, I, I did a, an internship with the city of Rock Island. Um, and, and realizing I only had one course and one internship under my belt, I knew I had to, to do something else to hopefully make myself more competitive in the job field if I ever did want to try to pursue this as a career. So from there, I uh, went straight into a master's course at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And I really chose that school after looking at some others because uh, really of a couple of reasons. One, I, I like kind of the urban setting there. I figured, you know, by and large, the jobs that I would be looking for may be in similar types of settings. And then secondly, there was really an emphasis on doing project-based uh, projects and uh, working in real-life types of settings. And, and that really struck me. I didn't want to have to do a whole lot of more kind of theory thesis type stuff where uh, it may be more academic in nature and maybe not as applicable to what you would be doing if you were to pursue a job in it. And, and so being able mm -hmm. to do a lot of that, being able to collaborate with a lot of my fellow students, I thought was really valuable. And sure. so uh, once I, I graduated from there, uh, my first job out of school was with a regional planning commission. Uh, based in Princeton, Illinois at the time, the North Central Illinois Council of Governments. And as an entry-level planner, I kind of got to do a little bit of everything. And it was great exposure to some of the stuff there. And uh, Certainly a lot of the, the towns uh, we were working in were, were pretty small in nature. And you had a lot of rural issues that you were dealing with. But 
you know, even with some of that and not having grown up necessarily in that setting, there's a lot of commonalities that that small, medium, big cities all share in. And, um, and with a lot of those cities, it was, you know, if they had maybe one, two, three building permits a year, that would be a lot of growth. And so they were really just trying to hang on to what they had in a lot of places and trying to have as modern infrastructure as they could. And, you know, things that we take for granted, like having Wi-Fi and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, th- those were certainly some projects that we were trying to assist some of those smaller towns with. And so I, I worked there for a little over five years. And then uh, the opportunity in Washington came up in 2006. And um, as luck would have it, uh, my predecessor, who was leaving the position, I knew um, he actually formerly worked at uh, my job at the time in uh, Princeton. And so uh, we had a pretty good rapport. He encouraged me to to apply for it. I, I did and uh, was fortunate to be offered the job. And, and here we are you know, 16 plus years later. Wow, that is uh, quite a run you've had there in Washington. What was the job that, uh, what was your entry-level position there? What got you in the door there? So it's the same position. Uh, they formally, um, going back to the early 2000s, they did have a planning and development director, which is my title and role here now, as well as an associate planner. Uh, I, I, as far as I understand it, budget cuts uh, helped uh, squash that associate planner position uh, a while back. And so ever since I've been here and a few years prior to that, they've only had myself as a true planner. Uh, we do have a building and zoning supervisor that we relabeled as a planner position a couple of years ago to try to have somebody underneath me and, and hopefully allow for the person in that position to, to grow a little bit and take on some of the same duties that I have. So if I were to ever leave, we may be able to have somebody that can step into to, to what I do. Um, but, but by and large, I, I get to wear the planner's hat and, and do a number of the functions that come along with it. Wow. Some of just yeah. the, the day-to-day planning duties. That's, uh, you know, often directors can get lumped into a lot of administrative kind of uh, tasks. But it sounds like a, a lot of the zoning administration and plan reviews just co- it still comes down to you. Yeah, I, I don't get involved in the plan review stuff as much. I mean, on some bigger projects, I may have my eyes on it. But certainly in terms of the, the daily administration of building permits, plan reviews, coordinating inspections, I, by and large, am not a part of that. Now, some certainly commercial projects that are larger in nature I'm a little more hands-on and being in touch with our inspectors and, and taking a look at some of the plans, but I will readily admit I, my background is not in building or construction, and so I try to rely on others that have more of that expertise than I do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, as a director, you end up having to oversee that, but uh, there's a lot of reliance on the experts that you have. Uh, and that's, you know, one of the key things is hiring a good staff and making sure you have those experts around you. Um, well, that's uh, absolutely. Yeah, yes, th- that's that's wonderful. Now, um, I uh, recently took on the position of the uh, the plan, uh, the uh, professional development officer for the board. And, uh, and there's a couple things I'd love to talk to you about. One is uh, you are AICP certified. Walk us through when you took that exam and when the, uh, you know, kind of when your decision, uh, what the decision was that led up to it and, uh, and give us a couple of tips for the young planners that are looking at it now. Gosh, that's a long time ago, Andy. I know, I know. <laughs> um, 
So I, I was first eligible to take the AICP exam in the spring of 2004, and I, I took it the first time. I uh, was fortunate to, to pass it. Um, I remember thinking at the time, and this was when I was still working <clears throat> excuse me, at the uh, Regional Planning Commission, that you know, I figured I had the the education to do all right in it. Um, I, I wasn't totally sure whether I had kind of the, the breadth of the experience to, to mm-hmm. be able to, to handle some of it, but I, I did certainly uh, enough studying for it, made sure I had done uh, the courses that were offered um, and, and try to take advantage of, of every opportunity to be as successful in taking it as possible. I know when trying to think back to, to that time when I was uh, trying to make the decision on whether to, to move ahead and, and taking it, I thought it'd be good for my career if I had the, the credentials next to me, not necessarily to prove to, to myself, but just to show others that, yeah, this is a, a pretty serious field. And while, you know, we're all human beings and, and, uh, we, we rely very much on input from the public. We do have people in this field that, you know, have experience and have, uh, you know, studied a number of different aspects that play into planning. And, and so that's kind of the way I looked at it, that it would be good to, to show anybody to, to maybe, uh, prove that, yeah, you know, John isn't a total schmuck. He's somewhat of a schmuck, but, you know, maybe he would be okay in in, uh, working for the city or at that time, the the Regional Planning Commission for uh, a while to come. Sure. I think it is just a way to advertise that you take the field seriously. You know, that this is what you've decided to do. Uh, You know, your grown-up job is is that and it's not right for everybody and i respect that you know it's not a, it's not a uh, a key to entry into the field by any any means um but uh but that's interesting to hear your take on it uh yeah and it was a long time ago for me as well but uh but it's it's still something that uh that i'm proud of uh john you have been active in the apa for a long time um, let me see how, uh, if you can, you know, walk us back to what, uh, what originally got you interested in being active with the American Planning Association, the chapter and, the and the, the positions that you've had over the years. I remember when I was first considering it, it was really just to kind of get a, a foot in the door and meet new people. Uh, remembering back to when I went to my first APA state conference in Utica, many, many moons ago, I remember being slightly intimidated, being a fairly new planner and and not really knowing anybody. And while everybody was very nice and and offering of any input and answer any questions that I would have, I thought, well, you know, being able to be on that platform and and serve the the organization may be beneficial. Um, There wasn't a significant time commitment as a part of it, but but it could still be something that'd be, I thought, very valuable to uh, kind of broaden my my network of, of colleagues uh, around the state. And so, I first uh, started as one of the regional coordinators uh, when I was in Princeton, and uh, transitioned into that same role uh, in Washington. And then shortly thereafter, uh, after I started the role here, I took on one of the roles with the ISS on the ISS board. And now here we are, 2023, and uh, just starting my first term as the secretary, which means that I, I've held a role on 
I've, heard, I've held each of the roles on the ISS board with the exception of director. So um, it's been really beneficial, I think, to to get to meet people, to understand how uh, the Illinois chapter and ISS can assist planners around the state. And I mean, very much an advocate. I've been very uh, fortunate over the years in both the, the jobs that I've had professionally to have uh, staff, uh, bosses, and elected officials that have been very supportive of continuing education. And uh, whenever opportunities have come up to to go to different conferences or to have different trainings, it's always been something that has been encouraged. And in turn, I've tried to do it with any of our staff that uh, is ever considering doing anything training-wise, whether it be through APA or otherwise. I think it's really beneficial to, to continue growing. And, and, and of course, uh, the networking opportunities that arise from it are, are always really beneficial. They are. Uh, I completely agree. I think we're in a field that, is, uh, that, is, that requires a really staggering breadth of knowledge. And, uh, and so by its nature, when, you know, when we are busy at work in whatever environment we work in, you know, um, an RPO, a specific community, municipality, or organization, it can be very intense, or it's often very intense. And it's easy just to, to work within that fishbowl. And, uh, and, and, and it can be difficult to brand, to look outside of it and to see what else is going on. The, our state conference gives us a chance to do that, but that's once a year if you can make it. And, uh, and so that's why I think the board and, and volunteering uh, for the chapter and, and the organization is a way to meet other planners and, and share stories in a way that we're able to now on this podcast. And, um, but just to do it more regularly, hey, what's, you know, there are people who are fighting the same fight that you are. And so I found that to be a benefit from working uh, not only on the board, but also with uh, the Chattuck Institute at DePaul and a couple of other organizations. Do you kind of feel the same way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I always feel like I learn something when I go to the conferences or have been on both sides of the, the planning commissioner training workshops. Um, so that combined with the networking, just hearing frankly, some of the horror stories that other people have, you know, sometimes you feel like, oh gosh, you get bogged down. You know, you may have had a, a project that just kind of sucked a little bit of the life out of you. And then you hear from others that have experienced maybe something a little similar and it, it helps a little bit to, to be able to, to kind of commiserate with your fellow planners. Absolutely. Because it, you, you you can read a lot of articles and read texts on things, but when it comes down to the stories that people have to share, I think that's really what resonates with you. You know, that's how you can uh, connect at the uh, connect with your souls and be like, yep, I've been there, man. I've been there. <laughs> um, so I think, uh, yeah. tell us a little bit about the planning context of the city of Washington. Do you, uh, would you consider it a suburb of Peoria in your mind, or is that not accurate? Yeah, I think that's a fairly accurate way of putting it. Uh, I have always referred to us as a bedroom community. And, and okay. I know sometimes that that has a negative connotation. And I know I certainly don't intend it to be that way. Uh, I mean, the fact is we have a, a population uh, as of the latest census of a little more than 16,000 oh. of that, we certainly export our population during the day. I mean, there is no disputing the data. I mean, most of our residents live here, work elsewhere and come back. And uh, we are relatively affluent uh, within the region. 
we would certainly love to see more employment here. We would love to see more retail activity here. Um, but as it stands right now, we are certainly a suburban type of bedroom community. And uh, hopefully over the years, that'll change a little bit. But again, I don't see that as a negative, but uh, something we can build upon. Well, that's uh, that's a great outlook. Uh, the zoning framework and the comprehensive plan, long range framework, um, you know, do you, do you, most zoning codes, I feel like could use a shot in the arm and boy, zoning reform is is all over the planner sphere right now. And I'd love to pick your brain about that. Um, but first, you know, does the, do you feel like, uh, uh, do you feel like Washington operates within a pretty solid comprehensive plan? Do you feel like you have a, you know, a long range plan that, that you can talk about in the staff reports meaningfully? Yeah, I do. Although I will readily admit our current plan dates back to its adoption in 2001. We did yep. uh, a slight amendment of it with our land use map and thoroughfare maps back in 2009. Uh, but we are currently in the, the ending stages of creating a, a new plan that we hope to adopt here within the next oh, probably two to three months. And there's certainly been some growing pains associated with that. I mean, we have some of the, the longtime folks in the community that you know, maybe don't see planning in, in the context that we do until such time when there may be some type of, say, proposed use near their property that may not be the most compatible. Um, then a lot of times people start seeing the value in planning. But... Um, one of the things that we're kind of working through right now, and we, we've been trying to get some input from the council and, and all the other stakeholders, is to maybe incorporate more of a hybrid uh, form-based code here, which you don't see as commonly in cities our size, and, and we're certainly not looking to jump in with both feet into the, the form-based field, but uh, to at least dabble in maybe trying to balance land use and form a little bit more than what we traditionally would and, and what a lot of cities traditionally would that are kind of around our size. That It's still something we're trying to, to hammer out to see if we really want to go in that direction, but we, we try to press upon everyone the, the benefits of maybe moving in that direction and giving a little bit more of uh, trying to, to balance that, that that form and function, and uh, we're not always the the most progressive when it comes to uh, kind of embracing new concepts here. Um, sure. But we're trying to show that there can be some benefit, you know, as long as people aren't bogged down by terminology that can be cumbersome or the, the perception that uh, trying to uh, look at something a little differently, like through a form-based code, that it's going to make development much more challenging and, and maybe push developers and development out the door that may ordinarily take a look at, at coming into Washington. Yes. So, uh, so when you think about uh, those you know, kind of different paradigms about the regulatory structure, what problems do you think they would address? Uh, you know, are you running into problems where, you know, so I've run into issues where um, it, it comes down to this, that laundry list of land uses in specific zoning districts and uh, how that may have been wonderfully applicable in 1995. But here we are, 
you know, and uh, and it's just okay. I realize you're not a leather goods le- uh, maker or uh, a cabinet maker or a print shop. Where do we put you? Um, so, are you try? Uh, have you run into challenges like that with your current zoning code, or what else do you think? Uh, you know, what other problems do you think these kind of changes you're talking about would address? Yeah, I think looking ahead, that would certainly be one of the next steps, if not the next step that we would do is to address on a more holistic, uh, from a more holistic standpoint, the uh, maybe a complete overhaul of our zoning code. Uh, probably like a lot of communities, like you mentioned, Danny, uh, we definitely have some major tweaking that would be in order uh, with our code. And specifically to what you said about the the various uh, different permitted uses that are identified and how a lot of them are outdated. And um, we we are certainly guilty of that. We we definitely Mm -hmm. have our share of uses in there. Um, You know, really, when I look at our code, and we've done a, a number of amendments to it over the years, when we try to do something to it, we try to take a, a fairly common sense approach and and say, you know, is there any reason for either why we have the regulations we have in place right now or what we're looking to amend it to? As long as what the end product is going to be is better than what we have currently, then it ought to be embraced. And um, I'm hoping that, you know, if and when we do take a, a bigger look at uh, our zoning code, that we can maybe simplify it a lot more than what it is. I don't know if we need the hundreds upon hundreds of pages that we have right now, um, but we certainly need a framework that, that clearly establishes what can go where, you know, things like that, that your, your zoning code typically will include. So, John, you have been there for uh, 16 years now. Is that right? That is correct, Andy. That is a run. So in that time, you have been through myriad public hearings. And, um, the you know, my public sector planning colleagues out there, we've all had, uh, you know, had those hearings. 90% of them, 95% of our public hearings are fine. You know, you kind of know what to expect. They go with the flow. But you know, sometimes you just, you get the phone calls, you get the emails and you know, you know, tonight's going to be something special. Um, and so John, give us a story about uh, something that happened in the past decade and a half in Washington that, uh, that made for a good public, a memorable public hearing. Sure. Well, one of my favorites was definitely a part of a project that we did about four plus years ago now. Uh, it involved the attraction of a winery called Tres Rojas Winery. And prior to giving consideration to attracting this winery to Washington, they had struck out twice previously in the cities of Peoria and East Peoria. And after things fell apart with their location that they were looking at in East Peoria, I just happened to be on a site selectors trip with uh, one of my colleagues in the area that knew the owners fairly well. And, and I said, you know, I'm just reading about what happened in East Peoria. Do you happen to know them by chance? Uh, kind of figuring that that she did. And she said, yeah, yeah, I do. And 
I was able to to get the number for the, the husband of the husband and wife team, and uh, so I when I got back to the office, I, I gave him a call. His name is Bob Barry, and his wife Lisa, and I introduced myself to Bob, and I said, Bob, you know, I, I've read about your uh, desired projects in Peoria and East Peoria, and you know, sorry the things didn't come to fruition, but if you're still wanting to to give it another shot. I think we've got a property here in Washington that could really be suitable for what you could be looking for if you'd be open to it. And and it, we hit it off really well the first time, eventually met here, got some of our staff together with him. We have a, a property uh, just outside at the time of our city limits that the city owns, or at least did at the time, that the city purchased uh, several years back for flood control. And, excuse me, it was about a a 60-acre property. And uh, again, since it was outside the city limits, very rural, a very quiet area. um, And we thought, well, you know, maybe we can make something fit there. And the, the, one of the kickers with it is that the property was close enough to our city limits where while we couldn't immediately annex it into the city, we could, through a land swap with an adjacent property owner, make it eligible under state statute to annex it. So uh, as we started having more and more discussions, brought in the adjacent property owner to, to be a part of the mix. We, we got to the point where we could start taking things public. And so with the, the annexation process comes a rezoning and uh, we had an agreement for the sale of our property. That's obviously very public. So uh, once the word started getting out, I think by and large, people were kind of intrigued by the project. Uh, but certainly some of the adjacent property owners were a little skittish, not knowing what exactly this was going to entail on, in terms of the impact on their property. And around here, we have a, uh, another winery called Mackinac Valley Winery, which is just outside of the, the town of Mackinac, about 20, 25 minutes from Washington. And they, it's kind of a, a fairly typical rural type of winery setting. However, on most Saturday nights throughout the summer, they have concerts there, and they will have, for some of those hundreds of people that will come from all over the area and, and bring in some, some decent-sized bands there, and it, it's a really nice night to have there, but certainly there is that noise element that comes from having live music yeah. uh, later at night. I'm and getting nervous. So. Okay. Yeah, so people were starting to wonder, you know, are, are you looking at having kind of the same model as what they have at Mackinac Valley? And the the owners were were extremely cautious and saying, no, we have absolutely no desire to do that. We uh, Bob at the time had retired from his position uh, with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and his wife was looking to transition full time into the winery business. And so they're like, you know, this is what we're looking to do in retirement. We don't want to be in the business of putting on large concerts on uh, for each weekend of the year. We want this to be a really quiet, simple setting that people can come to enjoy a glass or two of wine uh, in a very peaceful rural type of setting like we had uh, on that property. And so we get to... The time where we need to annex and, and rezone the property, 
and kind of fearing the worst. And uh, it was kind of that plus uh, another or another two or three times that. And we had uh, several of the adjacent property owners that came out. Uh, some were pretty vehement in their objection to it. And, and really, the thing that will always stick with me is Bob Berry, who, uh, again, has a background as a retired USDA scientist. He knows his stuff when it comes to the science of winemaking more than any person I have ever come across. And so there were several comments about, you know, what is the noise going to be? How is this going to impact the farming operations? What about migrating butterflies that would be coming through the property, et cetera, et cetera. Every time somebody had a question or a statement on that, he had a really, really educated answer that he was able to provide. And not only that, do it in a very calming way that he was not trying to speak over anyone. He was not trying to flaunt what he knew in this field, but really rather just to educate everyone and hopefully give everyone a fairly strong sense that we want to be good neighbors with you, provide a great element for the community, and have this be a win-win for everyone involved. And so we were able to get through that. The, the council ended up uh, eventually approving everything. We were able to sell the majority of our property through the land swap to it. And they started planting grapes uh, by the next year. And here we are in the, the, the winter of 23, and they've been open for uh, a couple of years now, and the operation is going really, really strong. And it was just, it was one of those where you go into that public hearing and, and you don't know how it, it may evolve. And, you know, if things don't go right, if you get a strong backlash from the, the public, that can go really sideways and, and uh, may not uh, give the, the council kind of the support that they want to have when it comes time for them to approve the entire project. So th- that was the one that really sticks out. Obviously, you know, you do this for a while and, and there's, you always go through at least a few that you kind of cringe at looking back upon, but that's one really in a positive light that will always stick with me in terms of how everyone kind of conducted themselves, especially the owners. Okay. Yeah. That's a good story. Cause I think it, 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 it shares the meaning of the, or it shows what good communication can do. And, and also just having good information. Gosh, I'll wrap this up here with a rapid fire. Yes. No question session. So to each of these, I'm going to read about uh, 10 things off, and you just give me a yes-no from the John Oliphant world. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Sushi? No. Skydiving? No. Home improvement projects? (laughs) With some limitations. (laughs) My home improvement projects are called a credit card and a phone. That's uh, that's. Car repair. That my wife is more of the, the handy person in our house, household <laughs> than I am. That is awesome. God love her. All right. Car repair. You a fix it? No. Yeah, me neither. Star Wars. Uh, yes, not as much as when I was a kid, but yes. Star Trek. No. Okay. Stephen King. No. All right. Last one. Milwaukee. Yes. 
Yeah, baby. Oh, I love you. Yeah. Um, John, uh, I don't know if yeah, John and I are both UW Milwaukee grads. Uh, John, you got out of there, I think, just a year before I showed up. I was there 01 to 03. Yeah, I, I graduated in 01. So, yeah, it's, uh, I love getting back there. I don't get back as often as I would like, but. I, I love the city. I loved my time there, and it, it certainly had a, a great influence on my career. And have you brought the clan back to the uh, back to uh, what I was going to say Miller Park, but now it's American Family Field to see the Brew Crew? Yes, in fact, uh, my oldest daughter and I did a couple of games there last May. Uh, I'm a huge baseball fan, and and my oldest daughter, for whatever reason, is kind of embrace baseball as well so we did get up there last uh, may to see a couple of games that's awesome that's awesome all right well john thanks so much for spending time with me and um and i yeah i, I really appreciate it man anytime andy i appreciate you having me on hello everyone this is trevor dick f-a-i-c-p Assistant Director for the Mayor's Office of Economic Development in the City of Aurora. I've really been enjoying the chapter's new podcast, Only Planners in the Building. Love the name. Here's a question. What would it be like to live in an apartment that was full of only city planners? I can picture the lobby holding monthly charrettes, big tables, the smell of new markers, post-it notes all over the walls, and of course, stacks of planning magazines. Could be kind of cool. Now here's Paula Freeze with this month's update from the executive director. Trevor, I can always count on you for creative ways to get our members together. As long as there's a bar and a coffee shop on the first floor, we'll all be sold. Did I ever tell you about the man who was locked out of his apartment? He started talking calmly, but firmly to the lock, because at the end of the day, communication is the key. <laughs> Waka waka! On the topic of communication, I get a lot of questions about planners taking non-planning jobs or taking a planning job that isn't ideal. This might be after graduation, when they're in transition, or when the job market is not as plentiful as it is today. With a crop of new graduates on the cusp of transitioning from student to planner, I thought it would be helpful to mention that if you find yourself in a job outside of planning or the planning sector you aspire to work in, all isn't lost. Communication tops the list of soft skills that can be developed or polished in any job. Being able to understand and explain information to anyone is a great skill to have. Other soft skills can include teamwork and leadership, problem solving. Take a glass half full approach. You're not wasting your time. You're building skills that will help you in any job down the road. And that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed our trip to Washington, Illinois as much as I did and getting to know John Oliphant, Planning and Development Director for the city. I know when I read about a town in Illinois or even just see a city on an exit sign driving around, the first thought that jumps into my head is, who's the planner there? Do I know them? Well, next time you run across Washington, Illinois, I hope your answer will be, oh yeah, it's John and he was on the podcast. So keep your eye on the podcast feed and join us for the next episode where we'll sit down for a chat with Kristen Harden, Project Manager at PGAV Planners in the greater St. Louis area. Until then, this is Andy Cross, and I'll see you next time.
Openly Planners in the Building is a production of the Illinois chapter of the American Planning Association, hosted by Andy Cross, AICP, and produced by Phil Green. This podcast is made possible by our 2022 to 2023 sponsors, with a special thanks to our Tier 1 sponsors, WSP and Halcyon Levine. Visit www.ilapa.org for more information on our sponsors and all of our programming.